What's poppin' people? Welcome back to Sunday School. Sunday School is a show where we read through the Bible and we try to understand what God's Word means and how we can apply it to our lives. We've been reading through the book of Romans, a book in the Bible, and the book of Romans, according to chapter 1, is a book about the gospel. The book of Romans is an explanation of what it actually is that Jesus did for us when he died on the cross. Like, obviously, you know, all people have some kind of understanding that Christianity centered around Jesus. And Jesus is so important because he was the son of God and uh, he died. He was crucified on a cross. Three days later on Easter Sunday, he rose from the dead. But what the book of Romans is covering is how does this story apply to us? How does the story of Jesus' life affect us in any way? And in addition to this, the book of Romans is also about how does Jesus' life fit into the larger biblical narrative. Before we get into the text in today's episode, we're going to be beginning with the end of chapter 3 and into the beginning of chapter 4. But before we get into all of that, I think it's important that we summarize everything that we've learned up until this point. See, like I've been continually reiterating in pretty much every episode, the book of Romans is constructing an argument. And that argument is ultimately, like we said, about how Jesus died for us. What does that mean? And so Paul, through the book of Romans, is walking us through step by step through all the logical points that you need to go through in order to come to faith in Christ and to believe the correct things about Jesus and to ultimately get to heaven. The first point that the book of Romans establishes is that God is real, right? That there is a God that exists, that something had to create the world around us. It's just common sense to come to that conclusion. He then establishes that God is going to judge all people. And not just that, but he establishes the standard by which God judges all people. And that standard is the law. The Jews know it as the Torah. Christians know it as the Old Testament or the Mosaic law. The law is a collection of 613 commandments which are contained in the first three or four books of the Bible. And regardless of whether or not you're a Jew or you're a non-Jew, God is going to be judging you based on that standard. Some people might think that it's unfair that we're being judged by that standard, but Paul argues that all people have enough common sense to come to the conclusions that the law comes to. Pretty much all societies believe in the Ten Commandments in some form. Maybe not the first five commandments, but they believe that you should honor your father and mother, that you shouldn't kill people, you shouldn't steal from people, you shouldn't cheat on your wife, and you shouldn't be jealous of others and wanting to steal from others. Now, obviously, not all people are aware of morality. Babies aren't aware of morality. Retarded people aren't aware of morality. And so they're not going to be judged based on their moral actions. They're only going to be judged based on the things that they know. But the fact is that God's moral standard is the 613 commandments that make up the Jewish Torah, and that all people who are aware of morality will be judged by morality. 
And God makes no favors for certain kinds of people, certain ethnicities. Paul goes into great length in the first three chapters talking about God's chosen people, the Jews. Back in Paul's day, and even more so today, it is a common belief among Jews that just simply being Jewish is enough to get in the good graces of God and enough to go to heaven. That just by simply having the right ethnicity, just by having your PP circumcised when you were born, that's enough for you to get right with God and you'll be raised up in the last days when Jesus comes back to establish the kingdom of heaven on earth. But what Paul says, and what's very clear if you read the Bible, the Old Testament, is that just simply being Jewish does not make you God's favorite person in the world. The fact is that the religion of Old Testament Judaism is not a tribal religion. It is a universal moral standard for all people. But with this acknowledgement that all people are going to be judged based on their actions, not based on their skin tone, not based on what religion they're a part of, not based on what they believe, we come to a fundamental problem. And that fundamental problem is that based on the standard of the law, even just the first 10 commandments that we know as the 10 commandments, all people, when they die, are not going to come back to life in the resurrection like how Jesus did. They're going to be sent to hell. They're going to face ultimate condemnation. They're going to experience the second death as described in Revelation. And this huge glaring problem is a problem that is addressed in Romans chapter 3. And Paul says that this problem that all humanity is going to go to hell because we've all failed to keep the standards of the Ten Commandments. We've all lied. We've all cheated. We've all hated. We've all failed to love our neighbor and failed to love God. That God's solution to this problem was to send Jesus. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being freely justified by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a peace offering through faith in his blood, to declare righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say, at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of them which believe in Jesus. So God was angry at us, and he wants to send us to hell. But God, out of his loving kindness, came down to earth and suffered and died in our place, so that rather than us getting punished, he gets punished. And what we need to do is we need to trust in God the Son, Jesus Christ. We need to trust in him rather than trusting in our own actions. And something important that many Christians fail to understand is that if our actions were good enough, they actually would warrant our entrance into heaven. So the issue is not that our actions can't get us to heaven, but that none of us have actually done enough to sufficiently meet God's standard. God's standard is achievable. 
Jesus met his standard. And there are other people in the Old Testament, such as Elijah, who was bodily assumed into heaven, and Enoch, who was bodily assumed into heaven. Jesus was so righteous and such a upright, good person that he deserved to be bodily assumed into heaven. But instead, he was killed unjustly. But through this death, God performed a miracle in that he placed our sins on Jesus' body and blamed Jesus for our shortcomings and our failings. So the reason why we can't rely on our own actions is not because actions are incapable of getting us to heaven, but that if you've ever sinned once, you've failed to meet the standard required to get into heaven. So we can't trust in our own actions. We need to have some other way to get redeemed. We can't just keep trying to be good because that is ultimately because that is ultimately a futile effort that's ultimately not going to work to actually get us there. If you kill someone, but you never kill anyone again, you'll still always be a murderer. You can never unmurder that person. If you lie once, even if you never lie again, you're always a liar. You can never unlie that lie. If you rape someone, you can never unrape that girl. You're always a rapist. If you sin once, you're always a sinner. You can never unsin that sin. And God will not let sinners into heaven. But if we believe in Jesus, we will be considered as no longer being sinners. Jesus, God, the God in the flesh, he can unsin our sin. And he did that through his death and resurrection. Where is boasting then? It is excluded by what law? Of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Seeing it is one God which shall justify the circumcision by faith and the uncircumcision by faith, do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid. Yea, we establish the law. Right, the law says that all people who break the law are going to go to hell. So when I say that going back to keep the law and trying to be a good person is insufficient to get you to heaven, I'm not blaspheming God. I'm not saying the law is evil. I'm just restating what the law says. The law is very clear. All people who kill will go to hell. It says in the book of Leviticus that if you hate your brother in your heart, you're going to go to hell. It says in Ezekiel that if you don't warn sinners that are in sin to stop sinning, like if your friend's an alcoholic and you don't tell them to stop every time you see them, then the blood's going to be on your hands and you're going to be held accountable for their sins. If you see someone that's on drugs, you see someone that's a homosexual and you don't warn them, you're going to go to hell. And the fact is, I don't warn everyone that I see that they're going to hell. The fact is I've hated people and I've, and I've committed plethoras of sins throughout my life. 
Now, I'm trying to stop sinning, right? I don't want to keep sinning, and it's wrong to keep sinning. That's evil. I'm not telling you to keep sinning. But the fact is, the law doesn't say that if you stop sinning and return back to obedience, that you'll be all right. No, the law says once you break the law, you're going to hell. So we're just establishing the law. We're we're affirming what the law says. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. The deeds of the law are insufficient to justify us again once we've committed a sin. Now, Paul continues his thought at the end of chapter 3 in the rest of chapter 4. And in chapter 4, Paul is going to affirm his teachings by referencing Old Testament passages which teach the same thing that he's teaching. And the first story that Paul references is the story of Abraham. So for those of you that don't know the story of Abraham, Abraham is essentially the father of Jews, right? He's in a way our spiritual father. Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, though obviously I disagree with Islam, and I guess I disagree with Judaism too, but they are all descended from Abraham, hence why they're called Abrahamic religions. We can find the story of Abraham in the book of Genesis. And Abraham was this guy who lived in Mesopotamia, right, in Sumeria, and Fertile Crescent, over in what we know as Iraq today. And he was a nomadic herder. He was a cattle rancher. He was a cowboy. And one day, God comes to him and God tells him to leave his home, leave Mesopotamia and go out to the West to a land that God's going to show him. And that if he obeys, that he will be the father of a great nation, not just one nation, but many nations. And that his seed, his descendants will do a great good for the world. Now, this is a development upon what we talked about in episode one, which was the promise made to Adam and Eve. This is a messianic promise about Jesus redeeming the world through his death. But there was a problem. See, God's promising that Abraham's genetic descendants, one of them would be the Messiah. But the problem is that Abraham's wife, has always been barren. She's been unable to have children. She's sterile. And not only that, but they're both old at this point. It's an old lady, an old man, and she's past the point of menopause, right? So even if she could have had children in the past, she's incapable of having children now. And so while Abraham does try his best to follow God, Abraham really struggles with believing God's promises. He thinks to himself, you know, it's impossible for me as an old man with my old wife to have a kid. So he goes and he tries to have sex with this maid that he he gets permission from his wife to try and create a kid with. And she ends up getting pregnant and God tells him, no, I'm going to I'm going to keep this promise with you and your wife, not with this maid. I made the promise when you were married to her. And ultimately, when Abraham's a hundred years old, him and Sarah finally conceive a child named Isaac. 
and it's this great miracle. And, you know, I suggest everyone goes and reads the story of Abraham in Genesis. It's honestly a very heart-touching story, but I don't have the time in this episode to go through everything that happened in Abraham's life, and it's not really relevant completely to the point that Romans is trying to make. So Paul, speaking to the Jews, he says, What shall we say then that Abraham our father as pertaining to the flesh has found? So, right, Abraham is the genetic father of the Jewish bloodline. All Jewish people today are genetically related to one man named Abraham. Kind of like how most Asian people are related to Genghis Khan, and even most European people are related to Genghis Khan. And he says, what has Abraham found? So, he's saying that Abraham discovered something. While he was alive in the book of Genesis, and it's recorded in the book of Genesis, Abraham made a great discovery. For if Abraham were justified by works, he has whereof to glory, but not before God. Right? We could do enough works to sufficiently earn our way into heaven. And if Abraham did that, if Abraham sufficiently justified himself before God and was found justified when he was judged based on his own actions, then he would be able to take the glory for getting into heaven because he earned it, right? But if he wasn't justified by his own actions and he was justified by faith, like Paul saying Christians are justified, then he can't take the glory right? If it's a free gift that we don't deserve given by God, then we can't take glory in it. But if we earn it and we get there on our own, we can take glory. For example, right? Right. I'm sitting on this wooden chair right now, right? I don't know if you guys can see it, but I didn't make this wooden chair, right? Someone else made this wooden chair. I don't even know how we got it. It was just in my house and I found it and I've been using it for these videos. Because I didn't make the chair, I can't take glory in having the chair. But if I were to have, you know, cut down one of these trees and I carved it into this chair, then I could take the glory for having this chair and I could brag about it. I could boast about it. But what says the scripture? Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. So in the Old Testament, in the book of Genesis, if you read it, you'll find this line. It comes after Abraham has this affair with this maid girl. God visits Abraham and kind of scolds him for sleeping with this maid girl and trying to fulfill the promise on his own. And he says, you're not the one that's going to fulfill this promise. You're not the one that's going to create the child. I made the promise, I have to fulfill the promise. That's what God says to Abraham. It doesn't rely on you, it doesn't rely on your wife, it relies on me to make it happen. And then it says, verbatim, quote, and God saw Abraham that he believed and God counted him as being righteous. So even though Abraham was a sinner, even though he cheated on his wife, even though he was a liar, just because he believed in God and trusted in what God said, God counted him as being righteous. 
He didn't do anything to earn being righteous. He wasn't a good person. He was a sinner. He was the opposite of being righteous. A sinner is being the opposite of righteous. But even though he was a sinner, God accounted him as righteous. See, God is an accountant, right? He's taking an account of everything that happens on earth. He's omniscient. He's aware of everything going on. And God has a written account of everything that you've ever done in your life. And he scores you based on your actions, applying a moral weight to every one of your actions to determine whether or not you deserve to be rewarded when you die and to have eternal life to take part in the resurrection or if you deserve to go to hell. And it says that God accounted Abraham as being righteous even though he wasn't even though he didn't deserve it. Now to him that works, the reward is not reckoned of grace, but of debt. So if Abraham would have worked, it would have been a debt owed by God to Abraham. He would have deserved to get to heaven. But to him that works not, again, Abraham didn't have any good works that merited his entrance into heaven. Who works not, but believes on him that justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. If you want a great verse for faith alone, right there, Romans 4, 5. To him that works not, but believes on him that justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Now, Paul establishing his case, right? He's trying to make a case for what he's teaching. He's quoting Old Testament stories like we talked about earlier. Now he's going to quote David from the book of Psalms because David is the author of Psalms, at least according to the Bible. And he quotes David and something David said in Psalm 32. Psalm 32 says, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. When I kept my silence, my bones waxed old, through my roaring all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, my moisture is turned into the drought of summer. I acknowledge my sin unto you, and my iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. For this shall everyone that is godly pray unto you in a time when you may be found. Surely in the floods of great waters they shall not come nigh unto him. You are my hiding place. You shall preserve me from trouble. You shall encompass me about with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way which you shall go. I will guide you with my eyes. Be ye not as the horse or as the mule, which have no understanding, whose mouth must be held with a bit and a bridle, lest they come near unto you. Many sorrows shall be unto the wicked, but he that trusts in the Lord, mercy shall compass about him. Be glad in the Lord, and rejoice ye righteous, and shout for joy, all ye that are upright in heart. And Paul says, David describes the blessedness of the man who God imputes righteousness without works. And then he quotes the first two verses. Now, unfortunately, I don't have time to get into the rest of Romans 4 today. 
But the point that Paul is making here is that God, who is the eternal bookkeeper, the eternal accountant, if you want to call him a funny name, God can write in his accounts that you're righteous even though your actions would not determine you as righteous. See, what is a righteous person? A righteous person is someone who does everything right, right? There's someone who walks uprightly, who never does anything immoral, but who always acts morally, a good person. How do we determine a good person? We determine a good person based on how they act, right? If someone is going around cheating on their wife, watching pornography, doing drugs, they're clearly not righteous because they don't act righteously. God usually determines who is righteous based on people's actions. But what Paul is saying here in this first part of Romans chapter 4 is that God is capable of writing whatever he wants into his written account. And that even though our actions might be wrong, that if we put our trust in Jesus, even though our actions would tell us we're unrighteous, he can take white out and white out all of the sins that we've committed in our written account of our life. And what Paul's saying, based on everything that we've read so far in the book of Romans, is that if we put our faith and trust in Jesus, if we believe that Jesus died for our sins on the cross and three days later rose from the dead, that all of our sins will be wiped out and we will be counted as righteous. We don't have to change to become righteous. God can make us righteous without our input. So that's all. Thanks for watching, and I'll see you next time.